Welcome and thank you for listening to the Okuo Church Podcast. We exist so that people will be in community with Jesus and one another. We'll do that by listening to God, loving people, leading by empowering others, and linking to our community. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, cool. It's great to be back with you once again, and we are in our series that we're continuing called Back to the Beginning. Now, to start the year, we shared the word that God wanted us to learn about and live by, which is sturdy. And we've been talking about that all year long. To be sturdy, we need to make sure that we are first built on the right foundation, because it doesn't matter how well we are put together if we don't have the right foundation. And we see Jesus talk about this exact concept in a parable. Here's what he said. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So we learn to be sturdy, and it's really simple. Jesus is what we build upon. He's the one that our entire lives rest on. And we've been talking about that all year long. So the first step in being sturdy was starting from the bottom, understanding who Jesus was while he was here on the earth and who he is now and how he continues through us. And that series that we started the year with was called The Beginning. So what that series about was the account of Jesus' life as written by his friend and disciple, John. So that series lasted 13 weeks, but over those 13 weeks, guys, we had to pack 21 chapters into that time, which isn't nearly enough time to fully understand the life of Jesus. And we had so much left that we had to just kind of keep rolling through. Even more, there's three other biblical accounts of Jesus' life, and we didn't even touch any of those. So in this series, which we were calling Back to the Beginning, which I talked about a minute ago, we will be doing the same thing we were doing in our original series at the start of the year, which is going back to this beginning, understanding the sturdiness of Jesus when we can lean our lives on that. However, we will be taking time to catch up with all the stuff that we didn't get to spend enough time with within the book of John, and we'll also be looking in different books and different biblical accounts to see the other things that we have to share with you uh, to understand what it looks like to be sturdy. So to get us going today, I have a story to share. So Laura and I got married in the summer of 2008. We've been married for 14 years now, what up? Uh, normally when people get married, they want to start having kids right away, but Lauren and I wanted to wait. We wanted to take our time. We were in absolutely no rush. So we did that. We took our time. We just enjoyed hanging out, the two of us. We did like a couple of little traveling things. We had some fun. And then about seven years later, we found out that Lauren was pregnant. And it was an exciting time for us, but we didn't know how exactly we wanted to share that news with our families. So we kind of kicked around a couple of ideas, and then finally we ended up settling and deciding that we should invite them all over for a dinner, come and have a meal together. And we did that. So Lauren's parents and, and sister and my parents and, and my brother and sister were there, and we let them know that Lauren was pregnant, and there was a celebration, there was crying, and a, it was just a good time had by all. Then a few weeks later, it was my birthday, and we decided to tell our extended family the big news that while we were having dinner for uh, a vet. And so it was just real exciting again, laughing, crying, excitement. And there's just something special 
about sitting down and having a meal together that just lends itself to the sharing of important information, right? You get to sit down, hey, how was your day? How was this? Oh yeah, this really important thing happened. Meals are times where we can make memories that can last forever. I mean, think about it in your life. How many special meals with families and friends can you remember, right? Like just think about all the fun times that you've had sitting around the table with people that you love. Maybe not one specific one, but think about all of the meals, right? Like you just knew that when you walked in that house, there was a meal waiting for you and what that, how that made you feel. The act of sitting down and eating together actually helps you grow together. It can be the place that you can fuel yourself for the day, of, of course physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. Things can happen when you're sitting around a table. And it's the place where you can share very important information. It can also be the place where you can receive huge news, right? Like when we're sharing pregnancy stuff. And it's not much different for Jesus and his disciples. There are multiple accounts of Jesus having very important conversations over a meal, and we'll take a look at one of them today. Today we're gonna to be talking through the account of this story as recorded by the physician, historian, and apostle Luke. So to give you guys a little bit of background about who Luke is, we need to know that he wasn't actually there for any of these events that we're gonna be reading that he recorded. However, Luke was able to sit down with and interview people that were there and able to recount what happened. He recorded everything like a good historian does at a level in a historic way where they are able to uh, uh, bring it in, in in the correct way. So let's look at this meal that Jesus shared. Now for those of you that are wanting to follow along on your own, we'll be reading through the book of Luke in chapter 14. Here's what Luke wrote. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. All right, so let's start with this setting. Which day of the week is it? Well, it's the Sabbath. And that might not mean a ton to you or me, but to people in that time in Israel, especially in the home of the holy people like the Pharisees, the leader of the holy people of the Pharisees, it was a very big deal. The Sabbath is a time that was created to remember how God rested on the seventh day of creation. And so they did the same. And so they would sit there, these, these, these uh, Israelites, the Jewish people, that would sit there and rest and worship God. And they would remember all the blessings they had been given. And it started off as a right thing, but along the way, they did what people do. They added to it. They defined it further. They would do this by following 39 different laws to make sure that they weren't doing anything that is considered to be working. And with that being said, at this point in Jesus' life and ministry, the Sabbath had been a source of disagreement between him and the Pharisees. Jesus had already publicly violated Sabbath rules on at least seven different occasions by the time he walks in to this dinner. Hopefully, this sets a, a good idea of the vibe that was between Jesus and the Pharisees on that Sabbath, which to me is like, why invite this guy if you don't like what he does on the Sabbath? Especially when you read where Luke writes, the Pharisees were watching Jesus closely. I mean, let's just take a look at this from a very practical and logical view. If you're gonna have a party on a very special day of the week, and then you're gonna invite all like your very important church friends or your high-ranking city official friends and, and all these people, and you invite them all there, would you invite someone that does something in a way that you can't stand, that he always does it on the day that you're throwing that party? Something that they might be tempted to do in that time? Also, would you invite them 
someone to a dinner where you like, you feel like you have to watch them closely the entire time? Of course you wouldn't. But there is Jesus, invited to the home of a Pharisee, even though they disagreed on major cultural ideas, and while they are watching him like a hawk. Why would they do that? Why would the Pharisees invite him to this meal? Well, I think this next line that we're about to read has a lot to do with it. Here's what Luke wrote. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. That's why. This man is the reason that Jesus has been invited into this house and has been invited to this party, this dinner. Let me explain. So this man with swollen arms and legs, theologians believe that he probably had something called dropsy, which is an old-fashioned term for edema. Now, edema is a medical condition uh, called, that is, causes swelling and uh, by a buildup of excess fluid trapped in your body's tissues. Now, this is normally an indicator of an underlying disease like uh, congestive heart failure or kidney disease, cirrhosis of the liver. If it's left untreated, it can actually become incredibly painful. The person can have trouble walking and there's an increased chance for infection in those parts of the body that have started to swell. So this kind of sickness, it wasn't necessarily looked upon favorably in the Jewish culture, especially by the rabbis and the Pharisees. They would have seen someone walking around with this condition and they would have assumed that it was the result of immorality. They would have thought that this person, this man at this dinner, was a sinner. They would have looked at him and known that he was unclean. They would have thought of this man as a level below them. But he's there at this dinner because he's the reason why they invited Jesus. He was there because the Pharisees wanted to trap Jesus. They knew where he stood on the value of helping people versus the value of following the Sabbath rules. They knew what Jesus liked to do, so they threw this man in there because they wanted to catch Jesus working on the Sabbath. They wanted to do that so they could have more of a reason to bring formal charges against Jesus so they could kill him. But they weren't outsmarting Jesus. He knew. The disciple John had this to write about Jesus in his understanding of who people were and what motivated them. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Like I said, Jesus isn't about to get caught. You know, it's not going to be a gotcha moment for the Pharisees here. Jesus knows who these Pharisees are. He knows what they are motivated by. He knows what makes them tick. He also knows what is right, what is the truth, according to the Father. So Jesus starts poking at these Pharisees. Here's how Jesus responds to all of this. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they could not answer. So here the Pharisees are waiting for Jesus to do something that they deem to be wrong. They're waiting for him to work on the Sabbath. They're waiting for Jesus to heal this man. But Jesus turns the table on them. Not like last week where Jesus was like, 
turning the tables onto the ground. He's doing this metaphorically, of course, this week. But Jesus has now put the burden of proof on the Pharisees and the experts in the religious law by asking them this question. Jesus knows what the correct answer to his question is. The Pharisees and the experts know what the correct answer to this question is, but they know that if they say it's okay for Jesus to heal this man, then they would have to lay down their case against Jesus. So they stay silent. Now let me say that again. Here is a group of religious elite people. They are in power. They are running the culture for the most part. They know that if they choose what is right, if they side with the truth, then they will potentially, more than likely, lose power. So they choose to say nothing than to speak the truth. Now, when Jesus doesn't hear an objection, he heals the man, the swelling is gone, the pain is gone, the embarrassment is gone, and this man can live a life knowing that he came into contact with Jesus. Akuo, this is huge. These holy men, they are trying to uphold the law by observing the Sabbath. They are mad at Jesus because he's breaking the law, but Jesus has actually exposed them as frauds. You see, these Pharisees don't want to answer Jesus because he knows they would go out and help out their own family on the Sabbath. That they would do that. Jesus knows they would go out and help their cow if it got stuck on the Sabbath. But they won't step out to help this unclean sinner because they think he is below them. And this is insane because they value their own property the cow and the child. Remember, kids back then didn't really have rights. They were just slightly above livestock. So the Pharisees value their property more than they value a man. Now this goes uh, totally against their entire system. Think about it. How did people become right with God back then? They would have to go to the temple. They would have to bring an animal sacrifice, an innocent animal, to cleanse the sin of the person. It was regular that they would sacrifice an animal property for a person. But here, the Pharisees are saying that they value the life of the sacrifice more than the people they are supposed to cover up for. This is the exact opposite of the law. This is the exact opposite of the way that God had set it up. They have so perverted the Mosaic law that they are completely backwards. And by doing this, they are essentially rejecting God for their position in the church. By doing this, they are rejecting Jesus who is standing right in front of them. And they're doing it to hold on to power. They're doing it because they want that position. They're doing it because they are so prideful that they can't recognize God literally standing in front of them and showing them the way to do the right things. So this is what author and theologian N.T. Wright has to say about the pride being shown by the Pharisees here. He writes, Pride notoriously is the great cloud which blots out the sun of God's generosity. If I reckon that I deserve to be favored by God, not only do I declare that I don't need his grace, mercy, and love, but I imply that those who don't deserve it shouldn't have it. Here the Pharisees are saying that they are to be favored by God because of their position. A position that they gained because of their holiness, because of the way that they followed the law. They feel like they have earned the favor of God. So when they look at the people that are affected with sickness, 
a sickness that is supposedly brought on by immoralities, they don't feel the need to extend grace, mercy, and love. Instead, the Pharisees look at the hurting and the sick and they say, those people deserve to be there and we deserve to be here. And Jesus sees they are living through pride. They have this pride. He sees how much better they saw themselves than the people that are hurting. So Jesus delivers an important message to everyone at the party. He wants them to get a moment in addition to their meal. Here's how Luke recorded it. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here Jesus is hitting them with something that will begin to keep their pride in check. He explains what it looks like when people are fighting over and where they're going to sit, right? They're all trying to get into these seats of honor, and the reason that they're fighting for those spots is because they want the prestige of sitting close to the host. Really, it's pride. When in reality, that fight can get close to that fight to get close to the host can backfire. It can blow up in their face. A person, can, a person could go through the whole fight to get to the seat of honor, and then the host would look at them and be like, "Hey, dude, Jimmy was supposed to sit there. Go sit somewhere else." And then they gotta like shamefully walk to the end of the table with everybody looking at them, be like, "Oh, dude," you know, like everybody's talking about them while they walk to the foot of the table. Then they're sitting at the foot of the table where they can't even hear the conversation that's happening at the head of the table. So Jesus gives this very practical advice to be humble. Pick a seat away from the seat of honor and maybe the host will call you into a more honorable position. Then you'll be honored in front of everyone. So that's like the practical side of this advice, right? Just to be humble. Save yourself from embarrassment. But there's something more to it. Jesus is also explaining what this looks like for the Pharisees in the spiritual realm. All of these dudes fight all the time to try and exalt themselves spiritually. They try and one-up one another about the ways that they have followed the law. They try to, you know, one-up one another. They try to out-holy the other person. But Jesus is explaining that if you try and put yourself in a higher position, you're going to get knocked down. You're going to get humbled then the ones that sit and serve from a lowly position, well, he is going to raise them up. And we all got to be following along with what Jesus is talking about here. We have to be doing our best to be humble. Not like making humble brags and not bragging about being humble. We need to show real humility in our lives and just do the things God wants us to do. When we can do that, we will see what it's like to be honored and exalted by God. And this is a good lesson to learn, but it's not the only moment that Jesus wanted to share with them. He has one more parable to walk through with these Pharisees. Here's how Luke recorded it. 
Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. So Jesus is showing the Pharisees here is another way for them to live out the humility that he wants them to walk with. He's explaining that by inviting the people of the culture that are thought of as less than, well, the Pharisees can't get anything in return from them. And he's explaining that if they invite their brothers, friends, relatives, rich neighbors, and high-ranking officials, well, they will get invites back and it will help them and they'll help them do something. It'll help them close off their circle, right? Think about this. So let's say that I invite Abel over for dinner at my house, and then he feels like he needs to repay me by inviting me back over to his house. Then I would invite him to my house, and then so on and so forth, and this and that. Well, what we did was ensure that no one else is gonna be joining us on these dinners. What we would be so busy receiving the repayment for the, our dinner that we would actually freeze everybody else out. So Jesus is telling us to be humble, to lay down our pride. We gotta invite everyone. We gotta invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. We have to include the people that we don't feel close to. We have to include the people that we feel like are less than to our tables. We got to make sure they know they have a seat here with us. Because what we're having to understand when you combine that with the last thing, we're all right here. Because serving someone you know that could never pay you back, that's actual humility. That's the opposite of pride. That's real service. But like the first parable, Jesus had a spiritual meaning for this one as well. You see, Jesus is showing us how he is inviting people to his table. Jesus is showing us how he is going about inviting people to the party that he will be throwing for all of eternity. Jesus isn't going to invite the people that are full of pride and don't feel like they need him to get through this world. Jesus is inviting everyone that has humbled themselves before him. Jesus is inviting the people that don't feel superior, but the ones that know that they are inferior to him. Akuo, those people that Jesus talks about, the poor, crippled, lame, and blind, in the spiritual world, that's you, that's me, it's all of us. Trust me, we aren't the people that can pay Jesus back for anything he's done for us. We have nothing to offer but ourselves. We have nothing to offer but a relationship. We have nothing to offer but our presence in a community with Jesus. Just being able to sit there when he invites us. Now, some of us listening right now might not have that. Now, if that's you, thank you for listening to this. I appreciate your interest in what we are talking about here today. And if you're listening right now and you want to be invited to that party, you want to accept that invitation to the party that Jesus is throwing, it's easy. To do that, all you have to do is simply believe. Believe that Jesus is who he says he was, the Son of God, the perfect lamb sacrificed for you to make you right with God. So what I would like to do is lead you in a conversation with Jesus here right now, which we would call a prayer. Now in this prayer, you will just simply confirm 
your trust and faith in him. That's it. And what I want to do right now is lead you in that conversation. And actually, I'm going to ask the rest of the Akua community to pray along with you during this. Because here at Akua Church, no one ever has to pray alone. You always have a community there with you. So if you want to confirm your belief in Jesus, just go ahead and say this between you and him. And just say, Jesus, I believe. I believe in you and what you did here on this earth. Today, the best way I know how, I give you my life. Amen. Now, today we saw that some fantastic things can happen over a meal. And in the scriptures, uh, in the accounts of Jesus' life, we find one of the most important meals happens at the end of Jesus' life. Jesus sits down with his closest friends and breaks some bread and drinks some wine and explains how his body will be broken and his blood will be shed for us. The remembrance and celebration of this is called communion. And I actually want to do that here right now. So if you're interested, I would like for you to participate with me, with us, all together in this act. Now to do this, you'll need to grab something to drink and grab something to eat. So if you need a second, you can go ahead and pause it right now. So go ahead, grab your drink. Now it can be uh, grape juice or soda or anything, it doesn't matter. Also get out like some bread or cracker. I've got some water and, and some bread right here. Um, it, it really doesn't matter what you use. It's not about the things that you are using, it's about who and what we celebrate during communion that matters. Again, if you need to take a second, pause it right here and go grab uh, your, your drink and your food. Okay, so let's do it. Let's take these moments to remember what Jesus did for us. So take your piece of bread or cracker, whatever you have. This represents Jesus's body that he gave up for us. By ingesting it, it reminds us that Jesus's body was broken for you, for me, and he now lives within us. So now you take your drink and it represents the blood that Jesus spilled for you to save your life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for everything. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for laying your life down for me. Help me continue to build my life on you, Jesus. Help me lay down my pride and follow you in the best way possible. Thank you for everything, Jesus. We love you. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, y'all, thank you so much for being a part of this today. Before we go, uh, there are a few things I'd like to share with you. So first off, if you're listening to this on the morning of November the 6th, we want you to know that after service, we will be having a picnic and a kickball game. So we want you to show up for it if you have time. Now, we also have a few other events coming up over the next few weeks, and they are all related to us linking to our community. 
So the first one that will be taking place on November the, the 20th and 21st is we have recently connected with our friends next door at the Sorrento, right next door to Akua Church, which are senior affordable apartments. They said that they were gonna need 30 Thanksgiving meals provided for them this year. So here's what we wanna do. The church will go ahead and buy those 30 turkeys and we're gonna ask you to provide the sides. We're gonna give you a red HEB bag and a list of the sides that you will need to pick up. Then we will go to the Sorrento on that next day and we're gonna hand them all out. I'm so excited to be doing this, but this is not all we're doing. We actually have one of our very own members that is leading a huge push for kids in the San Antonio area to keep warm this year. Marcos Hernandez is helping out with Coats for Kids SA, and their goal is to get 15,000 coats to hand out to kids that need them in the San Antonio area. Now, in addition to getting the coats in, they also have an internationally recognized artist that is gonna be using these coats to create a mosaic photo that will then be used to travel the world to help kids get coats, to raise awareness for kids needing coats. Now, these coats can be new or gently used, and we will have collection boxes here this week and next week. Now, there is one last thing that we will be doing. So for the third year in a row, we will be helping out Christian Assistance Ministry with their Christmas store. Now this is a place that families can go and get signed up for new toys for their kids if they can't afford them. You know, there are definitely other programs that take care of Christmas presents for families like Elf Louise and Blue Santa, but to be in those, you'd have to sign up for that months and months ago. And Cam does this store for the families that have been struggling, whether it's been for months and months or days, right? Think about the family that they just lost their job uh, a couple weeks ago, right? They weren't able to sign up for this in the middle of the summer. Now, there are a few ways that you can do this, that you can help out with this Christmas store. First, Cam has an Amazon and Target wish list online. And to buy some of those gifts, all you have to do is go to uh, our social media or the Cam website and click on the links and purchase the gift. Then they will automatically get shipped to Cam. Now, the other thing you can do is pick up your toys and bring them here on December the 4th in just a couple of weeks. Then we will deliver them to camp. Now, the only reason we are able to do these things at all is because of you and your generosity. Guys, we exist and we are able to link to our community because of the ways that you do things. And I'm so grateful that you are a part of the ways that God is moving and we are linking to the kingdom here. And I'm just so proud uh, to be the pastor of a group that is so generous. So here at Akuo Church, there is also a level of generosity that, that we exhibit as well. And that's just sacrificial giving. It's giving here at the church. Now, if you aren't sure where to start, one of the many ways that you can express your generosity here at Akuo is through the biblical method of generosity, which is called tithing which means giving a first fruit 10% offering in the storehouse, which is your local church. That could be a place that you start. But remember, we don't want this to be a burden for you. We want you to do this as a celebration of the relationship that you have with Jesus. This isn't a thing where you give something and God gives you something back. This isn't what it's about. This is about us doing it to celebrate 
all the things that you have received through your relationship with Christ. It's kind of the same way that the Pharisees were dealing with the Sabbath, right? They did it in a way where it was following laws, but in reality, the Sabbath is supposed to be a time where you're excited and celebrating the great things that God has done for you, and you're living this thing out in a way and being generous in a way because of all the greatness that God has given you. That's what sacrificial giving is all about. Now, right now, you might not be in a position to do that. It might be a really tough time for you with the economy and everything going on. If that's you, we want to be linked to you during your tough time. If you need anything at all, all you have to do is go to our website, akuo.church, and click on the Contact Us link, or you can send us an email to help at akuo.church, or you can call or text the church at 210-901-8785, and we will help you out in the best way we possibly can. Now, if you are able to give here at Akuo Church, you can do that by going to our website, akuo.church, and then when you get there, you can click on and follow the on-screen instructions uh, after clicking on the giving link. You can also text to give. For that, all you have to do is text Akuo, A-K-O-U-O, and the dollar amount you wanna give to the number 77977. And if you don't wanna give electronically, we also have our PO box available if you would like to send your gift through a check. For that, all you have to do is mail your check to Akuo, at P.O. Box 100-125, San Antonio, Texas, 78201. All right, all, that's all that I have for you today. I just want you to know that I love and appreciate all of you. And our Akuo team will be praying for you now and all week long. So before we go, let me just pray over you one last time. So Jesus, I just ask that as, as people put away their phones and close their laptops and, and, and turn off their TVs and tablets. I pray that you would be with them and speak, continuing to speak to them. I pray that you would show them the right ways that they need to show humility this week. I pray that you would show them the ways that you want them to sit in a position of humility and lay down their pride. Jesus, I pray that when they do that, that you would exalt them, that you would show them blessings and love in a way that only you can. And I pray that their example would encourage others to do the same thing in their own lives. We thank you for everything, Jesus, and we love you. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, that's all that we have for you this week. We'll see you at a community group. Thanks for spending time with us today. You can find this message and any recent sermon available on demand at our website, akuo.church. That's A-K-O-U-O dot church. Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Akuo Church. Welcome to the community. We hope to hear from you soon.